Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature an interesting, thought-provoking and clinically relevant conversation to enhance your speech pathology practice. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Hi, and welcome to Speak Up. This is Nadia, and today I'm joined by the Speech Pathology Australia ethics team, and we are gathered on unceded lands of the Wurundjeri, Woi Wurrung, and Bunurong Boon Wurrung peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation. So I guess we should start by saying a happy Global Ethics Day to everyone, um, and we wanted to take some time to talk a little bit about what that background and history was. So it's an initiative of the Carnegie City Council and um, this is their 10th annual one so they've been running these for 10 years now which is pretty cool Um, and so we wanted to then talk a little bit about the theme for this year which is ethics empowered Um, and we'll be talking both amongst ourselves to start out with and then also with some other members of our profession about what ethics empowered looks like in their workplaces and in their everyday work. Um, so we're going to start out by having a conversation with Kelly Williams, who is one of the ethics advisors here at SPA. Kelly, can you tell us a little bit about what ethics empowered means to you and what it looks like in daily work? Yeah, thanks, Nadia. Um, so the first thing that springs to mind for me is making sure that our members have the tools to critically reflect on their clinical practice. Um, and supporting them with that ethical reflection and ethical decision-making. So one of the ways we support members to do this in our team is by speaking with them about tricky ethical situations. Mm -hmm. Um, And from these conversations and from our own clinical practice, we have insight into the themes and topics that our members are facing. And from there, we can ensure that we um, provide supports um, in various ways of whatever that may look like and that may mean providing information on a topic or a theme to support our members with these um, things that are coming up for them that yeah. they're facing. Um, second thing that comes to mind is supporting members to have challenging conversations. So this is a frequent one that yeah. we talk um, about almost every day really yeah. with our members. Um, And uh, one of the ways that we may support this is um, supporting members to proactively manage their own stress um, because that helps us to stay present and engage with the people that we serve and it enables us to think objectively about a situation Um, and that may mean making room to ensure that the other person feels listened and heard Mm -hmm. and so we can get to a point where we can practically resolve a situation. Um, And the third thing that um, I think about is reflecting on our own practice and processes within our team. And obviously for us, um, that involves the SPA complaints process. And the people that we serve have communication needs. So it's imperative that our complaints process is accessible to them and clear and fair for everyone. Mm Um, We view complaints as an opportunity for feedback from which we can learn and grow and they're also a way to empower people. And so if you're a business owner, this is something that you can also be reflecting on with your own complaints process, ensuring that it's visible and accessible to the individuals that we serve. And if you work in paediatrics, then this will include children too. A really great point there. It's really nice to ensure that, that children's voices are being heard within all of this as well. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. 
Um, all right, we might hand over now to Trish. Trish Johnson is the Manager for Ethics and Professional Issues here at Speech Pathology Australia. Um, so Trish, can you talk a little bit about how members can share the message of Ethics Empowered going forward and what that looks like? Sure, thanks Nadia. Thinking about this, I was reflecting on what does empowered ethics in proactive ethical decision making look like? What does it entail? And it occurred to me that the ethical values, principles and standards that are in our code of ethics are not actually just abstract words on a page that we might read from time to time. They can actually live in our decisions and actively support us to make choices. So when we make decisions about how we undertake our professional work, if we're conscious of the value, for example, that sits behind that particular decision, that should give us confidence that we're acting within a professional and ethical framework that is shared across our profession. And as health professionals, speech pathologists must be accountable. We must be accountable for our actions and decisions. And what better way to do that than to base our actions and our decisions in the standards for our profession. So by being proactive in this way, by thinking about what ethical issues are inherent in a particular situation. That might not come innately to some of us, but we can set ourselves up to be more conscious of the reasons we're making decisions by practicing thinking about what the ethical issues are. For example, having space in our planning or even in our documentation so we can identify whether there's an ethical value principle or standard that we really need to focus on that's related to that context having a dedicated time in team meetings to discuss the ethical issues inherent in a situation, even downloading and using the ethical decision-making resources that are available on the Speech Pathology Australia website, that can frame and guide problem solving and decision-making. So today on Global Ethics Day, I'd like to encourage us all to take some time to think about how we can do one of these things and fit consideration of ethics into our weekly schedules so that it does become more innate and more conscious. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much for that, Trish. Um, we're now going to move on to having some conversations with a couple of our members and how they are empowering ethics in their daily work as well. We are now joined by Rachel O'Brien. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for being here. Hi, Nadia. Thanks for having me. I'm coming to you from the lands of the Waramai people today. Wonderful, thank you. Can you tell us a little bit, just to start us off, about where you work and um, what context you work in as well? Yes, I work over a couple of contexts actually. Um, so I'm a clinician and a practice educator with the University of Newcastle in a chronic aphasia clinic, and that is a primarily telehealth clinic. And my other role is with Speech Pathology Australia as a research assistant with the ethics team. And we're looking at ethics education and what impact that has uh, on our membership, how the members are using the ethics education and whether they're finding it useful. Yeah, great. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, I think. Um, but can you start us, start us off by talking a little bit about what Ethics Empowered looks like in your daily work across, across all of those roles? Yeah, I was thinking about this across both of um, those particular contexts. And I think to me, it means that ethics is at the front of mind in every clinical interaction we have. So I feel like for me, it means that we think about and where possible we can anticipate ethical issues. And through this anticipation, we might be able to mitigate some of those ethical issues before they progress to being dilemmas, which become more difficult to manage. 
So obviously sometimes we can't anticipate issues before it comes bigger. Um, but in that situation, when we can't anticipate, it's actually being able to identify when an issue has become, um, uh, you know, when an ethical issue presents itself in our clinical interactions. Um, so when I think about my work, particularly with students, um, and also as my research assistant work, I think it's really important that we have the tools available in order to address um, ethical issues when they become an issue. So I feel like those tools cross a whole lot of things. So it means that we have the ethical, the ethics education, we have those resources, we have supervision, we have mentorship, we have the ethics advisors such as yourself at Speech Pathology Australia. So we have this huge bunch of resources that we can draw from. Ethics empowered to me means that people, our clinicians, right across the, the spectrum. So from students and early career research, uh, sorry, early career um, clinicians to people with decades worth of experience feel confident in asking questions, being okay to reach out to colleagues and networks and embedding these conversations within our clinics and our departments and our workplaces. And we've got a heap of tools that we can use, but knowing that it's okay to say, look, I've got this situation and I'm not 100% sure what to do with it but knowing that we can have those conversations. So I think ethics empowered to me means that we have the tools and resources available. And that includes saying, actually, I don't know and knowing where to reach out to, to increase our knowledge. That's such a great point. I think it's something that um, we kind of get taught. Well, there, there was a culture at one stage within the profession of, if you don't know that it's appropriate to put on a facade and, and um, fudge your way through a little bit until you can get a better answer. And I think it's really um, authentic and it shows respect to the person that you're with to be able to say, you know what, I, I don't know this right now and I'm going to go away and I'm going to ask some questions and I'm going to find out for you and, and we'll put together a plan together. I know that if I'm in a situation where a professional says something to me that's along those lines, I, I have a lot of respect for that and yeah. Yes, I say it to my students all the time, asking the question is a superpower. Yeah. Saying I don't know, but I know how to find out is a superpower. That is something we need to do. And I was thinking about it just before we came on, Nadia, that, I mean, maybe it is cultural. Maybe we haven't, and exactly like you just said, maybe we haven't always asked the question. Mm -hmm. Maybe we haven't always said, it's okay to say, I don't know. So perhaps ethics empowered means we, we, have this cultural mm. movement where now we say ethics is at the heart of everything we do it's not stage left it's center stage we need to we need to embed it in our practice we need to embed it in our team meetings we need to embed it in our departments we need to be talking about it from we need to be talking about our clinical interactions from an ethical standpoint and I think as well what you were just saying that showing that vulnerability is a really ethical act as well and it um, it has a lot of I like the idea of having us as humans as clinicians being vulnerable Absolutely. and center stage I think that's a beautiful image all right well um, the next thing I was hoping to speak a little bit about is what are some of the ways that you can share the message of ethics empowered going forward and you've spoken a little bit about talking to students about that I think that's a great um, place to start 
Yeah. So we talk with the students a lot about looking at what brings the complexity in the clinical interactions. What is making it complex? What is hard? What are the hard questions? Um, and where does ethics fit with that? Um, so that's something I certainly talk about with our students. Um, oh, one of the really big questions and one of the really big things that I talk about with students is actually being aware of your own, the baggage that you bring, your yeah. own values, your own um your own understanding, the, the lens that you look at the world through. And just, it's not saying that you have to necessarily change that. It's just being aware that, okay, this is my set of values. What are this person's set of values and how are those values interacting? So I think that's a really important, important one with, with students and early career clinicians. Well, actually it's important for all of us, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Some of the time when there are conflicts that do arise, it, it feels like, at least part of that is that there are two value systems that are coming into conflict with one another and being able to acknowledge that and see that is a really useful step in that process and That's and right. is helpful in in being able to resolve that situation as well yeah yeah you're right um can you tell us a little bit about the research that you're doing with the ethics education package i would love to tell you about the research yeah. Great. So we want evidence-based tools and resources for members and for all species. Um, and so to do this well, we need we need research. So what our research is trying to find out is other ethics education tools that we have available, are they relevant? Do they add value? So the only way, I mean, I think they definitely are relevant and they definitely add value, um, but my say-so isn't enough. We need research. <laughs> so we need um, members, we need clinicians to participate in this research and we would love to hear from people. So what we also want to know is some of the professional demographics. So we want to know who is using the ethics education, why are they using the ethics education, and we'd love to know about their experience. Um, of using that ethics education, not only the practical experience of, you know, the tool itself, the um, the education package itself, but um, was it applicable? Did it did it resonate with them? Um, did it not? If it didn't, that's what we'd like to know about. Um, so we, what we want to know is, does the ed ethics education that Speech Pathology Australia provide, does it give you good directions in terms of of that ethical decision making and that ethical thinking. So um, we're really also interested to hear about people who aren't accessing it. So, I mean, you do have to access the ethics education um, to participate in the survey, but if you get a little way in perhaps and, and you don't continue, why is that? So, and, and we're thinking that, yeah, there are probably some structural barriers. There's probably time. Um, we know that caseloads, yeah. it's a long course, People are stretched there with huge workloads. It's hard to access, but we need to think, well, how do we, how do we address that? Um, and that may be out of scope for the research as such, but we would like to know if time is actually one of those barriers. So we're also wanting to know, are people perceiving it as relevant? Um, are they wanting to go in and do this education? Are, are they finding that it's relevant to them? Um, and if it's not, that we need to find that out. So we would love to encourage all members to participate in the research. So the um, education package uh, is available now for free for members on, um, on the Speech Pathology Australia website. And, and we'll link that in the show notes so okay. that um, people can find that really easily. When people do, 
the code of ethics support for everyday practice there will be a link available to them to take them to the research and it's a 10-minute survey uh, that is completely anonymous none of the research team are going to know who has and who hasn't done it um, we do ask some professional demographics questions so we do ask if you're a student um, roughly how many years of experience you've had and we do ask that you uh, do share some goals what was it that brought you to the ethics education in the first instance um, and then we ask about knowledge and confidence questions throughout so we would really appreciate if our members would support this research because actually it addresses a really big gap in the literature about the applicability of um, ethics education so it's groundbreaking stuff we're very excited about it and we're asking for our membership to help us out in completing that research and how long is this survey going to be open for? We're going to keep it open until July 2024. Once people do the education, they'll get an email from the communications and marketing team just asking them if they would. So it's two months after they access the education, they'll get an email asking them to, to participate, but they don't have to wait for that email. They're absolutely welcome to go from the link that's provided in the education so they can complete the survey as soon as they do it if they like they don't have to have completed the full education package they just have to have accessed it um and i'm very happy to be contacted by anyone who wants to ask any questions about being participating in the research great oh we do have a second phase of the research oh great um, and after so the survey is the first phase it's 10 minutes anonymous survey if people are interested in being part of an online focus group then they're welcome to leave their name and contact details um but that's not compulsory the focus groups we're just after hearing a little bit more in depth we want to ask a few more questions so what was your experience what do you think about it um did you like it have you applied it what do you think about it we want we want members to understand that part of their fees goes into this stuff. So we want to give you value for your membership fees, making sure that the, the resources that we provide are actually what you want to be learning and applicable for you. So what we'll do is we'll make sure that the link for the ethics education course, the um, Code of, Code of Ethics Support for Everyday Practice course is linked in the show notes so that people can access it there. It is free for members, so make sure that you log in. Um, and it is a lengthy course, but it's it's something that we've designed to try and be really applicable for everyone at every stage of their career. Um, and then we'll also ensure that we have a link to your um, research so that people can both reach out to you and then also complete that survey so that we can ensure going forward that the ethics education resources that we provide are evidence-based and specific to our membership as well. Um, thanks, Rachel. Before we let you go, do you have a take-home message for people that are listening today about all of the, the work that you're doing with this ethics education um, research? Yeah, I think that I'd like people to know that engagement first up. So Speech Pathology Australia is actively seeking to provide the appropriate tools and resources to its members to allow them to feel really confident in ethical practice. So we would love to hear from our membership about whether whether we're doing that we also want to hear if we're not doing that because mm -hmm. then we can adjust and provide what we can provide the resources that are needed for clinicians fabulous all right thank you so much for your time today <laughs> thanks nadia
We are now joined by Olivia Scala. Hi, Olivia. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Nadia. Um, so you're an early career speech pathologist, so we'd love to hear a little bit about your journey in speech so far and what kind of work you've been doing. So, um, as you said, I'm an early career uh, speech pathologist. I have been working um, as a speech pathologist for almost three years now. And the context that I work in is um, a private pediatric practice. Um, so mainly working with NDIS um, clients. Um, and then in addition to that, I also volunteer for the um, SPARS early career um, reference group, so the ECRG. Um, and as part of that, uh, I'm in the ethics uh, subgroup. So we work on resources around um, ethics for early career um, speech pathologists um, to help support them in those first few years of practice which is why we've got you here today, because we are talking about ethics after all, so it makes you a perfect match. <laughs> um, so the theme for Global Ethics Day this year um, is Ethics Empowered. And so I'd love to hear what Ethics Empowered looks like in your day-to-day -day work. Mm. And I was thinking about this question, and I think as a busy speech pathologist and as an early career speech pathologist as well, I think it's very easy to believe that ethics is something that's up on a pedestal uh, or it's something that we work through um, using an, a compulsory module um, every few years or something like that but actually when you consider it more deeply it really is something that's part of your everyday practice um, and a key component um, of all our decision making as well so I think um, in my day-to-day -day practice something that I really try and prioritize from an ethics standpoint um, is taking a person-centered approach which I think ties in uh, to the ethics of um, responsiveness. Mm -hmm. um, I think especially as speech pathologists because we work with clients from such a diverse um, range of backgrounds so um, ages, cultural um, backgrounds, socioeconomic status, neurotypes, um, we can't sort of take a one-size-fits-all approach so in terms of the day-to-day -day, how I um, try and work work through that ethically um, is by um, really listening to my clients um, being adaptable um, and flexible um, and adjusting based on on their needs um, and as well because I work so closely with families um, I also find that I have to consider ethics a lot um, in the sense of being very transparent and honest um, with them in a lot of the discussions um, we have. And I think, as a, again, as an early career speech pathologist, that can really be very nerve-wracking yeah. um, to, to do um, if you can have the courage um, to have those um, really honest conversations um, with the clients, then you're going to get the benefit um, of having those really um, long-term positive therapeutic relationships and, and maintaining good ethical practice. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Um, one of the other things that we are asking everybody is just around what you're planning on doing to share the message of Ethics Empowered going forward. What's that going to look like um, in terms of how you're communicating with your clients and colleagues and um, what does that look like in terms of the decisions that you're making as well? Mm, absolutely. Um, and I think some of the things that you just um, mentioned there also play on what I was thinking about. And I was thinking about how uh, with our, um, you know, promoting 
um, ethic, like, you know, ethics, um, is that we can do it in sort of more subtle ways as well as sort of more overt uh, ways as well. So I was thinking in the sort of more subtle sense um, would be by modelling ethical behaviours in the workplace. So um, I myself um, am sort of, I have some experience in the team, so I'm not um, the youngest um, but I also have supervisors and things like that. But I think um, if we all all members of the team can be role modeling good ethical um, behavior and then having the policies and procedures to support that, I think is a really um, good thing. And I think as well, something I try and do is make sure um, I hold myself accountable and responsible. Um, so either whether that's um, reporting unethical behavior, um, if I see it or pitching myself out, if I'm noticing um, you know, something's not quite right, um, having regular supervision, things like that um, as well. And I think by modelling good um, ethical practice in, in the workplace, it gives us a nice stance and shows that this is actually something that's really important um, in our profession. So that's kind of from a workplace stance. Um, whereas I think then, of course, there's the broader conversation and the advocacy. Um, so like, for example, this podcast today um, gives us the opportunity and the space to have those broader discussions about the importance of ethical um, practice and, and develop some new insights. Um, and similarly, I personally, because I'm volunteering through the ECRG, uh, the ethics uh, and being an ethics representative of that, um, we are currently working on some NDIS resources for early career speeches. So um, because we know that that's a bit of a knowledge gap coming out of university and we're doing that so that new grad speeches can feel really uh, empowered um, to make decisions um, with their NDIS clients, um, especially if they don't have as much um, experience to rely on. So that's kind of some of the things that I'll be doing um, this at this time. Yeah, great. Navigating the NDIS can be a, an ethical minefield regardless of where you are in your career. So, yeah. Exactly. And that's and that's definitely why we're doing it because we just realised that yeah, it's such a knowledge app and, and there's so much to learn um, and that we can even see you know, people who have much more experience than us are also struggling to navigate that, make sure they're ethical, keeping up um, with all the documentation um, and requirements and things like that, reporting. So, um, yeah, we're excited to produce some new resources um, for our SPA members to have a look at. They sound brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today. That was really great from here and from you, That's Olivia. Okay. Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much. We are now joined by Danica Dalton. Hi, Danica. Thanks for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, can you tell us a little bit about who you are as a speech pathologist, what area you work with, all of that kind of stuff? Sure. So I've currently just taken the jump over to um, private world. But before that, I was working in the public health sector, um, most recently in community health since 2014. So seen a lot of change in that space. Um, I work with adults only adults um, in now just in the NDIS and home care package space but um, prior it was also in the Commonwealth Home Supporter Program as well. Yeah great thank you. Um, so what does so the theme of Global Ethics Day this year is ethics empowered so we're just mm -hmm. asking everyone what that looks like in your daily work. I think ethics empowered as a speech pathologist is a really strong um, key feature of what we do and how we do it. 
um, working with such vulnerable people um, with what can seem like very small impairments that impact someone so greatly with how they function and work in the community, in their roles and in society, um, being able to work with them to really consider all of the different sides of how they're presenting mm-hmm. and what issues they have, speech pathology and past speech pathology, um, I think for me is is where ethics is empowered and that we've got so much opportunity to work with people for the best outcomes in a really considered fashion. I think that's really important, particularly in adult disability as well, because you're coming to uh, a new individual that you're working with and they've got a history of a lot of other things and it's a very tricky situation to navigate sometimes because you might be making different recommendations to what somebody has done in the past and how you manage that can be can be quite challenging at times. Yeah, I think everybody approaches things differently um, and everybody sees the person as a different individual in a different environment and I'm quite a holistic um, practitioner in that I go in and I will do my standard assessment um, of communication and swallowing and cognition and but I look so much further in how that applies to the individual Mm. so what really impacts um, the person so recently I had a client that has had speech pathology intervention before um, I had a referral for communication and I walked in and I was like, how's it actually going? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's good. Like he's non-speaking, but, you know, he's got his normal routine. He gets up, he has breakfast, he pauses about the house, has lunch, pauses about the house, has dinner, and then he goes to bed. And I was like, I understand he's retired mm-hmm. <laughs> and that you will know him really well, but what's his quality of life? And um, when I was talking to his brother, he said, so you're a speech pathologist, yes? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a speechy. I've like, you know, done a communication swallowing assessment for this client. And he said to me, but you do so much more. <laughs> and I was like, but that's what speechies do. Like we're, we're working with people who we really need to be advocates for, who we need to really be there to pull apart and challenge and um, analyse what's working well, what's not working well. And ethically where we can push further and we can really question what is important for the person. Yeah, perfect. Um, All right, so what are some ways that you're thinking about sharing the message of Ethics Empowered through your daily work and and other activities going forward? So um, working in the NDIS and home care package space, I think for me, Ethics Empowered, really resounds within the eating and drinking with acknowledged space, acknowledged risk space. Um, There are so many, so much of our population that experience dysphagia and so much of it um, can be normalised away as um, part of normal ageing or um, a lot of times I will go and see an NDIS participant and... um, they have been on a modified um, a modified meal, or modified fluids, and it's historical. Mm-hmm. And to really question why this person is potentially on a modified diet or fluids 
um, and then do they need to be and then question whether there are things outside of that um, mealtime plan or, or modified food and fluids that are actually really important to the person and particularly um, the older population. So is it going down to their local cafe and catching up with their friends and having a coffee or is it that um, you know, someone really values walking down the street and getting a hamburger or um, you know what is part of them and how do you then build them into your recommendations and advocate for eating and drinking with acknowledged risk and how do you then start that conversation um, and have an ongoing conversation because it's not a start and stop um, and it's a, not a yes and no. There's so much grey when it comes to eating and drinking with acknowledged risk and it's you have to have so many people on board. Um, but I think when it's done well, it gives the people an opportunity to really open up and enjoy and value the time that they get to spend um, in a meal time because a meal time is so social. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of potential missed opportunities if we aren't thinking about advocacy as a central part of our role, and that feels very aligned with with ethics in terms of respect and dignity and um, ensuring that that's centered within what we do. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. All right. Well, you've talked a lot about um, eating and drinking with acknowledged risk, which is such an important part. Have you got any examples or thoughts on how communication plays into that? Yeah, so I think um, communication, particularly um, with NDIS participants, is so varied mm. um, and particularly with clients who we work with who have an institutionalised um, background as well. It's uh, There's been a lot of missed opportunities and trying to introduce and implement strategies um, moving forward as, as an adult, as a, um, and potentially as a retired adult, um, can sometimes be challenging, particularly bringing um, those people that support the person on board. So we have a really strong role in advocating um, and recognising the um, that communication is right. Ethically, the support workers that are there to work with the participant, to work towards their NDIS goals, need to be on board. And how do we um, break down the barriers and bring people on the journey with us, I think is um, that is sometimes a challenge that we can look through lots of different um, avenues to then try and bring people with us so that the participant can really be able to maximize their goals and work towards and achieve those goals I think goals within the adult population in the NDIS are much slower moving and um, the skills acquisition and skills recognition is much slower and um, so having those opportunities to slowly bring people on board and work towards recognizing that communication is the right and just because something's always been done one way doesn't mean that we have to continue to do it that same way, I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant, thank you. I think we'll leave that there for today. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Please be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast and share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. 
Thanks for listening and bye for now.